Well, church family, we started this journey a year ago at Advent, and today we close uh, the entire reading of the book of Matthew over the past year. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you. Good morning. I want to bring you greetings today from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, maybe you didn't know you had brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, but you do. God is at work in that city. And I know if any church knows that, you know that because of your pastor and his family and their involvement in our work out there years ago. Uh, I want to take you back for just a moment in a story of my own life to September of 1999. September of 1999, I was minding my own business. I lived in Memphis, Tennessee. I was the senior associate pastor of a wonderful church there, had a great relationship with the senior pastor. He was my dad. I'd known him my whole life. Everybody assumed my dad would retire and I would become the next pastor of that church. It was a wonderful church at that time, ran about 2,000 people and uh, was a church that was very generous, had the nations on its heart, a church that gave a million dollars a year away as an investment over and above their budget, a million dollars a year invested in the nations and what God was doing globally around the world. One morning, I'm sitting in my living room, I'm minding my own business, I'm just spending my own time personally before the Lord daily, and I'm reading through a gospel in Luke chapter 4, I come to a verse of scripture that Mike and I joked about yesterday and said, man, I think you, he said, I think you've gotten more mileage out of one verse of scripture than anybody I've ever known in my life, but it's true. Man, this all started for me with Luke chapter 4, verse 43 Jesus made this statement. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And that morning, sitting there before the Lord, I began to see some stuff in Jesus that just wasn't in me. Some, some issues of Christ-likeness in my life, this passion for the kingdom of God, this passion for other cities. And in that moment, I did the only thing I knew to do. I, I sat before the Lord and just surrendered and said, yes, God, I don't know when, I don't know where. I went and got my wife, Christy. We knelt down in our living room. We ultimately thought we were headed overseas, going somewhere to plant our lives in a city or a culture on the other side of the world and, and really never look back. We said yes. Two weeks later, a mentor in my life, Johnny Hunt, a pastor in Georgia, reached out to me and said, Vance, our church is feeling led of the Lord to start a church in the fastest growing city in North America. At that time, it was the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. And he said, as soon as he said Las Vegas, man, I just knew God had called our family. He said, Vance, God's put it on my heart. You're to be the pastor of that church. And what we'd prayed two weeks earlier became a reality. We moved east before we moved west and relocated our family to, to Woodstock, Georgia. And the first thing we did was we assembled a team. 
that would go with us to engage the city of Las Vegas with the gospel. And one of the first people I reached out to was your pastor. He and I had worked together there at this church in Memphis. I'd gotten to know his family. Before we even moved to Woodstock, I sat Mike and Jennifer down and said, man, if God's calling us, he's got to be calling you. And uh, they prayed and said yes. And our families with a couple other families relocated together to Las Vegas to join in God's activity of planting a church. We launched our first public worship service in September, two weeks after 9-11-2001. Our church just turned 20 years old this past September. My family's been there for 20 years. Your pastor and his wife and their family were there for a decade with us. And we've seen God do unbelievable things. But I want to take you back to the early days, about 2003-2004. Our church was about three and a half, four years old. We were growing. We were seeing people come to faith in Christ like crazy, running over 1,000 people in our weekend worship services. In three years in a place like Las Vegas, it's unheard of. God was just pouring out his supernatural grace and power in ways we couldn't really hardly explain. And I'm sitting in my office one day, and I got a telephone call. It was from a friend of mine whose name is Bob Roberts. Bob pastored a church in Keller, Texas called Northwood Church, suburb of Dallas. And Bob called me and said, Vance, I need you to pray about going on a trip with me to the nation of Egypt. I said, Bob, love to pray about it. He said, man, I need to know within the next 10 days. I'm like, okay, let me, let me talk to our team and, and, and Bob told me that he'd met a man who was the highest ranking Christian in the Egyptian government by the name of Magdi Shaker. And he said, Magdi has invited me to bring a group of pastors to sit down in a Muslim country with the leaders of that government and ask their permission to begin to do Christian ministry in a Muslim nation through the front door. And he said, Vance, they've asked me to bring a handful of pastors. I want you to go with me. So I prayed, talked to our leadership team, Mike was a part of this decision, and we said, okay, this sounds crazy, but let's go. So we did it. I got on an airplane, I flew to New York City, JFK Airport, did something I hope I never have to do again. We put on suits and flew an overseas flight wearing a full suit and tie because we're traveling on diplomatic visas at the invitation of the Egyptian government. We land in in Cairo, Egypt. We get off the airplane. In the airport there, I met this man, Magdi Shaker, who was the director of intelligence at the United Nations on behalf of the nation of Egypt. We literally did exactly what he said. We met with the governors of the three largest governorates, Cairo, Giza, and Alexandria. We met with the cabinet members of the presidential cabinet there of Hosni Mubarak. We met with his wife. We met with the director of central intelligence in his home. And we did the same thing everywhere we went. We said, hey, we don't come to violate your laws. We're not going to preach in your streets. But... We want to come and serve your nation. We want to come and get involved in the foster care and adoption situation. We want to get involved in starting micro-businesses. We want to walk alongside your educational system and your medical communities. And we want to help bring change in your nation. And while we do that, when people ask us why we're here, we will tell them our Jesus story. And to our shock and dismay, we got 100% government clearance and invitation to work in the nation of Egypt. We actually worked through the front door of the government of the nation of Egypt for almost six years. We continued that relationship. We sent dozens of teams. We planted churches. I trained hundreds of pastors. Every time we'd go, they'd put Islamic guards with us and they would track us everywhere we went. 
But we had an unbelievable almost six-year run of ministry in that nation that's still bearing fruit to this day. The downside of front door ministry is when you go in through the front door, once the president was overthrown, I was in country when Hosni Mubarak was overthrown, 28 people killed outside of my hotel. They had to get us out of the country quickly. When that happens, as quickly as the door opened, the door closed. Say, so why are you telling us that? Here's why. My very first trip to Egypt. We've gotten permission. I'm sitting in a coffee shop with Magdy Shaker, about to get on an airplane to fly back home to America. And Magdy says, can I tell you a story? I said, love to hear it. He said, 10 years ago, I was the ambassador to Australia on behalf of the nation of Egypt. He said, I was flying home from my post in Australia to resign my position with the government and go into Christian ministry. He said, on the airplane, God convicted me that he'd raised me up as a modern-day Joseph to open the nation of Egypt to the people of God once again. And you can put this in your theological box wherever you want to put it. But he said, on the plane, God gave me a vision that I would work with a church in America from a city filled with casinos and houses of prostitution. He said, Vance, 10 years ago, God told me on an airplane that I would work with your church from Las Vegas. Now listen, at that time, our church was four years old. Here's what that means. When God birthed our church, he had the nations on his heart. It was never just about our church. We have this idea about the church in America that missions is this little thing that we do. It's this part of our ministry. It's this department in our church. It's this thing that we give some money to. But here's what I began to understand as Magdi began to share with me and it began to reconcile for, with what I understood the scripture to say. When God bursts the church, he has the nations on his heart. Missions is not a little thing that we do. The mission is why the church was born. This morning, the reason Tri-Cities Church exists is because God has the nations on his heart. That's been the same mission ever since this movement we call Christianity began. We read it a moment ago. I'm going to read it one more time. Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. It's really the marching orders Jesus gives the church. He spent three and a half years in public ministry. He's died on a cross. He's been raised from the dead. He's made appearances to his disciples. And just before he ascends back to heaven, he says, okay, here's the plan. The scripture says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, I love this, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Man, that's the church. Amen. I love the authenticity of the scriptures. You know, if, if we'd made this stuff up, we wouldn't have put that line in there. We'd have stopped with they worshipped him. One of the reasons you know the Bible is true is because of this kind of stuff. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of, say it out loud, those two words, say it. 
Say it again out loud. Listen, now, I'm going to ask you to talk back to me a little bit today, and I've got to let you in a little secret. Right? I've gotten a little bit spoiled. I pastor a church in Las Vegas that has 54 languages represented in our fellowship. Now, one of the beauties of a church of 54 languages is we look like a bag of Skittles dumped out on a Sunday morning. Like, we look like what heaven's going to look like. But here's the other beauty of that. Multiple cultures worship Jesus in different ways, and some of them are very expressive, and I've just gotten used to being talked back to a little bit. So I'm going to get you to talk back to me just a little bit. So say those two words one more time out loud like you mean them this morning you ready one two three go go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i've commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age out of those verses that i know you've been studying this book for a year but out of this closing paragraph i want to share with you three truths about God's work in the world. Here's the first one. God's activity in the world is big. I want you to say those two words with me again. You've said them once already, but say them again. All nations. Do it one more time. All nations. We can't even begin to imagine how this crowd on this hillside heard that that day. I mean, we hear all nations, and that sounds pretty big. But, but you and I live in a globally connected world. We can jump on our phone. We can get on a platform like Instagram or social media, Twitter, and we can instantly be connected with people in countries all over the world. As a matter of fact, you and I know exactly how many nations there are in the world. When Jesus said this to them, it was such a big statement, they didn't even know how many nations there were. Like they couldn't even wrap their minds around a global connectivity. This was a massive assignment and if we would wrap our hearts around this this simple reality would radically change most churches most churches in north america are so focused on ourselves our vision often begins and ends with us we've forgotten that the local church is not the finish line the local church is not the finish line the local church is the starting line for god's activity in the world this is not the goal this is not the end game Sometimes we get discouraged in the American church because we compare the size of our church to the size of somebody else's church. Listen, you let a group of pastors get together for five minutes, and I promise you they will ask, so how many did you have on Sunday? Like it matters. The size of the church does not determine the significance of the church. The size of the mission is what determines the significance of the church. And here's what I'm telling you from this text of Scripture. The mission is the same for everybody, and the mission is big. You see, the mission that Jesus gave them right here in the opening paragraph of, of his commission to them, that this, this mission is the expansion of God's kingdom among every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. The goal of Hope Church that God's allowed me to birth and pastor for the last 20 years the goal of Hope Church, even though this weekend at Hope Church we'll have about 4,000 people in multiple worship gatherings there on our site. The goal is not the growth of Hope Church. The goal is the expansion of the kingdom of God locally and globally. And until God called me to Las Vegas, to be honest, this concept of the kingdom of God was not something I was very familiar with. 
Like I could give you a definition from seminary, but it wasn't something that had practical implications in my life. And a matter of fact, I think most people in most churches in America have little understanding of what the kingdom's really all about. And one of the reasons I know that is we're so wrapped up in the politics of this nation. Like this nation is the end game. God didn't call us to preserve America. He called us for the expansion of his kingdom. Listen, I love America. God bless America. My grandfather fought in World War II and in Korea and was a career serviceman. I get tears in my eyes when they sing the national anthem. But I'm telling you, we've been called to something bigger than the United States of America. We've been called to the expansion of the kingdom of God. And that's the only thing that's eternal. Well, one guy agrees with me. Amen. Thank you, sir. The kingdom of God permeates the New Testament. We've almost written it out of the Bible. Did you know that the kingdom of God is referenced over 100 times in 16 different books of the New Testament? Did you hear that? I mean, if something makes the Bible once, that makes it important. Amen? Like, God didn't have to repeat it. If it's in this book, it demands our attention. Amen? But 100 references... In 16, that's two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. And one of them from the lips of Jesus himself in this gospel that you've been studying, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I think it's up here on the screen, but seek, say the next word out loud. Seek what? Does that mean put it in the top ten list? No. But seek what? Now, for, for you Greek scholars in the room, you know what this is? It's an imperative. You know what that means? It's not an option Jesus is laying on the table for us to prayerfully consider. It's a command. Jesus says, by way of command, the absolute number one priority in your life, which everything else is supposed to revolve around, is the what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, for sake of time... Let me give you a definition that we wrote out at Hope years ago. Mike was even a part of this, and we wrote this, and we tweaked it through the years. But here's what the kingdom of God is. It's God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. That's the kingdom of God. It's the big picture of what God is doing in the world. It's the eternal redemptive mission of God. Let me give you three practical handles to hang on this idea of the kingdom. Number one, the kingdom is believers. The kingdom, when Jesus talks about all nations, he says, make disciples of all the nations. The kingdom is believers. Let me show it to you in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It says, and they sang a new song saying, I think it's up here, yeah, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a, say it out loud, kingdom. Wherever you meet, A person on an airplane in another country, at work, and when you meet someone who has been ransomed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you meet a fellow citizen of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is believers. Number two, the kingdom is big. Did you hear it? Look at it. Every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, 
That's describing a scene at the end. We're getting to see a picture from the end of the movie. The scene around heaven at the end is this vast sea of humanity representing every nation, every people, every language, every tribe, every culture. The kingdom is big. Here's what that means. The kingdom is bigger than your church. The kingdom is bigger than the Tri-Cities area. The kingdom is bigger than the Southern Baptist Convention. God help us. The kingdom is bigger than the United States of America. The kingdom is bigger than the continent of North America. The kingdom is big. And here's the third reality. The kingdom is being built. Show you another verse from this gospel you've been studying. Matthew chapter 24 says, Jesus said, and this gospel of the what? This gospel of the... Listen, you're going to be shocked as you read the Bible how much this kingdom language is in there. It's everywhere in Scripture. This gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel? It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news of the coming kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. There's the bigness again as a testimony to what? All nations. There's the bigness again. And then the what? The end of what? end of the world as we know it you see i think we've forgotten that this thing called christianity is moving towards a glorious grand climax we gotten so comfortable with our 401ks and our retirement plans and our buildings that we build and our cushy services that we have week in and week out we got so comfortable with all this that we think this is the end no the end is coming What's happening right now? Right now around the globe, this gospel of the kingdom is being proclaimed. And every day, we just saw a couple up here in baptism today. Every day, people are being born again into the kingdom of God. But guess what? One day, the last soul is going to respond to the gospel. The last person is going to come to faith in Christ. And then, guess what's going to happen? The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And then the dead in Christ are going to be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will always be with the Lord. Who will be? The kingdom of God, reigning forever. And listen, we don't even hardly get excited about that anymore because that's going to interrupt my vacation plan. Well, I got this milestone. Lord, if you could wait until I hit, then I'd love for you to return. You know why we think like that? Because we've substituted our success for the success of the kingdom. We've settled for something far less. Jesus uses a couple of phrases here. All authority. Describes rule, dominion, reign, power. All nations, peoples, races, ethnicities. These phrases announce the truth that God is sovereignly at work all over the world. Did you know as we sit here today in this room that we're living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive? Did you know that there are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ today on a daily basis around the world than in any other single moment in human history? Well, at least somebody heard me. I'm going to say it again to give you another shot at it. 
Because if you hear what I said, listen, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get down here where you can hear me, all right? I'm going to say this real close, real comfortable. Listen, we are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus today on a daily basis around the world than at any other single moment in human history. They ain't getting it, Mike. Listen, and here's the reality. God birthed your church for such a time as this. Not just so you can sit around and talk about how great church is. God brought you to himself to get involved in ushering the greatest harvest in the history of the kingdom into eternity. Let me give you a couple of examples. China. The 1950s country of a billion people there were only about 700,000 Christians and they kicked the missionaries out in communism and the global church panicked thinking the church in China wouldn't survive this new church in China wouldn't make it no missionaries no outsiders allowed in and that lasted until the 1980s almost 40 years The church sat on the outside looking into China, concerned that the church in China didn't survive. You can read the book Back to Jerusalem that tells the story. In the 1980s, they opened the doors back up. Missionaries went back in. Guess what they discovered? That 700,000 Christians had become over 40 million Christians in China. The largest people movement to the gospel in the history of the world. There were moments in the early 2000s when 40,000 people per day in China were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. In the mid-2000s, there was a season where they were starting 1,700 churches a month. Southern Baptist Convention, through the Sin Network, the largest church planting organization in the world and we boast planting six to eight hundred churches a year and in China they were starting 1700 churches a month and here's what I'm telling you that's not just them that's us you know why because we're citizens of the same kingdom that's what we're a part of we look through the lenses of just well you know we've had a tough year here and We've done our best to hold on through COVID and, you know, we couldn't meet for a while and it's tough. Listen, no, no. God is alive and at work all over the world. And get this, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. <laughs> Tell you another. Iran. Iran. We've, we started an Iranian fellowship in Las Vegas through Pastor Martin Hagani. In Iran, did you know that more people have come to faith in Christ in Iran in the previous 100 years than in the previous 19 centuries combined? One pastor in Iran told me this. He said, the church of Jesus Christ in Iran is right now one of the fastest growing on planet Earth. You don't hear much about that on the news, right? What's the point? God is at work in the world. God is at work in the world. And we are not simply members of a church. We are citizens of a kingdom that is alive and expanding to the ends of the earth. What's the first thing we learn here? God is at work 
in the world in a big way. Here's the second thing we learn. God invites us to join in his activity. Everything that I've just articulated for you about the activity of God in the world, he's inviting you to be a part of. That's not somebody else's story. That can be your story. Your life, my life, your church, the church that I belong to. Our churches can matter if we connect them to the big picture of what God is doing in the world. I I took, like many of you, I'm sure, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby years ago as one of the foundational Bible studies that God used in the birthing of our church in Las Vegas. And Henry Blackaby teaches this principle that wherever you see God at work, it's his invitation for you to get in on it. Well, guess what? I just described for you the activity of God all over the world. Guess what that is? It's his invitation to you to get in on it. But I'd go a step past what Henry Blackaby said. It's more than just his invitation for you to get in on it. He's commanded us to. It's not just like God's given me an invitation and I can choose whether or not I want to be a part of this. Go back to the text, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. We tend to put all the emphasis on the word go, but the word go is not the main verb in this sentence. The word go is a, is a modifier of another verb. It's literally the phrase as you go, as you live your life, as you engage, as you do life. What's the main verb? The main verb is to make disciples. And again, it's an imperative, meaning it's not an option for us to prayerfully consider. You don't have to pray about it. One of the things we do in the church in America, we present this idea of missions like we want you to prayerfully consider whether or not you'd like to be involved in this. No, you don't get to pray about it. God said get involved. Here's the reality. If you don't, you're living in sin. If you don't engage... In the global, eternal, redemptive mission of God to expand his kingdom to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation as a follower of Jesus, you can teach a Sunday school class, you can give some money, you can sit in a pew every week, but you are living in disobedience to God if you're not engaging in the eternal, redemptive mission of God. Now, not all of us engage the same way. There's a variety of levels of how we do that. But we're all called to engage. And he says we're to engage all nations. It's, it's a phrase, we hear the word nation and we think about the 196 nations that exist on planet earth. But the word translated nations here is literally the Greek word ethnos. It's a word that means people groups. It's a group of people that are united by language, culture, history, and customs. And you probably know this because I know your pastor's heart. There are just over 11 in 196 nations, there are over 11,000 people groups on planet Earth. 11,000 people groups. And missiologists study these people groups, and they determine if these people groups are reached or if they are unreached. Now, an unreached people group means that among the population of that people group, there's less than 2% of the people who would profess to be followers of Jesus. Out of 11,000 people groups on planet Earth, There are 6,793 of them that, according to missiologists today, are unreached. It represents about 1.5 billion people. Now think about this for a second. If you were going to start right now counting to 1.5 billion, 
and you were going to count by seconds. One, two, three. You know how long it would take you to count to 1.5 billion? 55 and a half years. 55 and a half years. And that's how many people right now on planet Earth, when 2,000 years ago Jesus said, not as an opportunity to consider, but as a command to obey, your primary mission in life is to make disciples of every people group on planet Earth. And yet today, 1.5 billion people sit in lostness while we're just doing our thing here in the church in America. God has invited us to get in on what he's doing. And listen, this truth is not just for the missionaries and seminary trained pastors. It's for every follower of Jesus. Do you know why you have the job you have? Well, so I can provide for my family and plan a return. No, no, no. You have the job you have because God gave it to you to be leveraged for the sake of the mission being accomplished all over the world. Well, pastor, you know, there's some of these countries that are closed. You can't get in them. It's not true. I can't get in them. When they see pastor, yep, they say, nope, you can't come. But every country in the world that you would say is closed to the gospel is open to business, economic, medical, education, advancement, and training. Countries that would not let me in to preach the gospel will let you in to train workers, to teach teachers, to raise micro-businesses, to engage in foster adoption services. And you know what? While you're there, guess what you can do? You can tell people who your Jesus is. How does this happen? How do we engage globally? Well, we do it through relationships. Paul gives us an example of this in Philippians chapter 1. Look at these verses on the screen. Philippians 1, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul planted the church at Philippi. The book of Philippians is a letter Paul wrote to the church at Philippi 10 years after he planted it because for 10 years they'd partnered with Paul in the expansion of God's kingdom to other parts of the world. Every church Paul planted in the New Testament, he wrote back to Philippi to say, nobody partnered with me like you did. They saw in Paul the opportunity to engage. Here's the point. The kingdom of God runs on the rails of relationships. You say, well, how do we decide where we're going to work? Every church has got to wrestle with two questions. Where in our city is God inviting us to join in his activity? And where in the world is God inviting us to join in his activity? At Hope Church in Las Vegas, we answer those questions primarily with two words. Resources and relationships. You say, what do you mean by that? Resources. How has God wired our church to engage locally and globally? And number two relationships who has God connected us with relationally to engage locally and globally every church is unique God made you you for the purpose of joining in his activity in your city and around the world for the expansion of his kingdom you must pray through that process and determine from the Lord how does God desire to use us practical example in Las Vegas we do a a survey about every 18 to 24 months in our church where we evaluate our mission. It's an anonymous survey. It's not a test of the people. It's a test of our leadership as pastors. Are we accomplishing the mission? As a part of that survey, we do a domain survey. We we ask our church who we are. 
we think like this, the church is the missionary. So if you were sending a missionary to Afghanistan and that missionary was a doctor, you wouldn't send him there to build houses, right? You'd send him there to do medicine. Why? Because he's a doctor. So we surveyed our church and discovered that the two highest domains represented in our church were uh, um, business and education. So we took the platforms of business and education Our third was the medical community, and we took those three platforms and we designed the way that we began to serve and work in our city and in places around the world based on who we were as a fellowship. And then we looked for relationships like Paul did with the church at Philippi. We looked for relationships that God had given us where we could connect relationally with the resources God had entrusted us to to leverage that for the sake of the expansion of his kingdom. God has so much in store for your church that is so much bigger than your church. But we have to be willing to engage. Here's the last thing, and I'm done. As we join him, he works through us to impact the world. Look back at verse 20, the way he closes. He says, I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you. What's the next word? Always. It's interesting. In the Greek language, there are several ways you can say always. This is not the normal one. This is actually two words in the Greek language. It's the word pas and the word hemera. Pas in the Greek language is the word that means all or the whole. Hemera is the word that means day. Here's what Jesus literally said. As you live your life on mission, I will be with you every moment of every day. I don't know how that sounds to you, but to me, that's very encouraging. Here's why. When I hear the bigness of this mission, here's what I immediately think. I am not qualified and guess what I'm not and you're not either but here's the beauty of the command he didn't ask us to be he said I will do it through you I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. He said, I will be with you as you do this day after day after day right up to the end of the age. And then I'll close with this verse. Paul said, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. I love that because, listen, I'm a dreamer. I can come up with some big ideas. Here's what God said. I can do far 
more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He is at work all over the world. He has invited you to get in on it and he will accomplish it through you as you simply pursue him. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray today that as only you can, you would take the truth of your word. God, you would speak. as they've set aside these days to learn to pray to hear your heart God I pray that you would now lead them to pray as they've never prayed to give as they've never given and to go as they've never gone Lord, would you call out the call? Would you accomplish your work? God, thank you that you will build your kingdom. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We bless you. We honor you. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.